Welcome to the Guitar Dads Podcast, a podcast for guitar dads by guitar dads. This week, we got part two with our conversation with Dave Honorado. We had such a great time last week. We hope you guys enjoy it just as much as we did this week. So here we are, the guys, Matt and Dave. Hello, everybody. I'm Matt. And I'm Dave. And welcome to the show. Episode, what is this, 94? Oh, geez. I don't even remember. Whatever it is. (laughs) 94, 95. It's one of those things. It's something. Anyway, this this week, we're going to give you the rest of the conversation that we had with Dave Honorado last week. We had such a great time talking to him. We hope you guys really enjoy these two episodes. But uh, real quick, thank you to each and every one of our lower listeners out there. We love you guys. You guys are kicking it real hard on Facebook. Uh, commenting on uh, posts on Instagram, you know where you can find us at Guitar Dads Podcast on Instagram, at Guitar Dads Podcast on Facebook. Come join the group. You get in for free. Yes. And, you know, this is the last episode we're going to drop for 2022. So we will be back with the daddies. The daddies are happening, everybody. And it'll be the first. Yes, that'll be, which is our award for those of you that don't know. For the uninitiated, it's our awards show that we do annually here. And it's basically, you know, the Guitar Dads picks for everything, you know, from albums to guitar solos to music. Maybe we throw some gear in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, We had such a great time last year with that show. So Yeah, it was fun. So we're going to do that again. We're going to record that um you know over the holidays i think or even before that and then we will we'll drop that so please look out for that and hope you enjoy this next part two of the interview with dave Honorado. he's just got so many great stories i i actually oh like God. you know he kind of gave us his background in episode one and now you know he gets deep into you know all kinds of real, i'm not going to spoil it but all kinds of really cool stuff with some big name big name artists that he was was lucky enough to work with and yeah um, you guys cool are going to really stories. love this one yeah you guys will like it so that's what we'll do all right. Without further ado, let's get back to our combo with Dave. So, all right, cool. Well, we're getting a lot of history from you. So tell us, you know, I'm, I'm yeah. really interested, you know, you kind of graduate. I know, I know you mentioned you spent a lot of time in the studio and that's kind of how you came across Rick. And so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, yeah. so from like, from, from like, we're, you know, from GIT days. Uh, so after about, after two years, I graduated with honors from, from GIT and um, this just would have been 92. And of course, all the while I'm going to school, um, I'm playing in bands locally here in Atlanta, uh, some cover bands, some original bands, um, none of which ended up doing anything really. But, um, one, the one band, the last like sort of original band I was in at the time, um, I got booked, uh, we found a manager who put some money into us and we were, we were kind of one of the local hotshot bands for a little bit around oh, town cool. and, um, and we were on, kind of on the come up a little bit and, um, and we met a guy who, typical kind of New York guy, had he was kind of shady, but <laughs> he, he had he had he had some connections and he had some money, so we're like, all right, well let's let's sign with this guy. He'll he'll we'll do something at least, you know. Mm-hmm. So the first thing he does, he he puts about ten grand up, which at the time, you know, wow, was, a lot of money, was, you know, pretty pretty good chunk. And he goes, okay, we're going to go into this this studio here in town that's got a Neve console, a really nice license. Oh nice yeah, room. the Neve. Yeah, classic. You know, yeah. of course, this is all pro, pre-pro tools. Pre-pro tools, yeah. It's all analog two-inch Studer machines, and 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 you know, you had to you had to know how to play to go in because there was no 
you screwed up and it was tape editing, cutting tape. That's all it was. <laughs> so you had to have your shit together before you, you know, you laid it down. So we rehearsed for a while and we were pretty tight band anyways. And, um, um, so we go into the studio called Triclops and uh, this would have been early 92. And, um, so we're, we're in there and, and we're going to cut like three song demo. And, um, so I walk into the main room in this place and I'm kind of scoping the place out, looking at the guitar amps and stuff. And I see that they got a, they got a pretty good wall of stuff. He, you know, they had some decent plexis and they had some metal front for input, early seventies marshals, a couple of high Watts and some Vox stuff, you know, all the classic stuff. Ah, nice. And, um, so I'm, I'm looking at them, you know, I'm kind of checking them out. And, um, the studio owner, this guy named Mark Richardson, who's the head engineer and, and studio owner at the time comes walking in and he's like, you know, introducing himself and he, he's, you know, he's like, okay, man, well, he's like, you want to plug something up? And I was like, yeah, it's like, uh, you know, and I kind of asked him, I said, Hey man, what about this, 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 he had a park head, which was a really cool amp. And I said, man, oh, let me yeah. play that park. You got. It was an old park 75 non-master. You know, this was all checkerboard cabinets. Like you, no, no distortion. You just had to peg it. You, you just had, yeah. So I'm just plugging this thing in, you know, at full volume, I'm, I'm, I'm cranking this park. And I, <laughs> at the time I had a, had a 56 Les Paul that was a gold top that had been stripped, uh, but it had been converted to PAF. So it was, it was like basically a, a, a sort of a uh, poor man's burst at the time. Okay. Yeah, and, that's um, cool though. Yeah. You know, you know, it was, it was an off center seam uh, gold top that had been converted. Oh, okay. I didn't convert it. It was already converted when I bought it, but, um, okay. but it was a great guitar. And uh, so I'm, I open up the case and he, he's looking at me, you know, he's, he, he had no idea what to expect. So I plug in and start ripping and he's, he just stops me after about 30 seconds and he looks at me and he goes, he goes, man, he goes, dude, you, this is going to be a fun session, man. He said, you can play your ass off. I was like, oh, well, cool. Yeah. You know, and I don't, I, you know, I never met this guy in my life and I was like, oh, cool, man. I'm looking forward to it. And so, um, so we start cutting a, you know, a couple songs and we get into it. And, um, after about this halfway through the second song that we cut, I'm sitting in the control room and the rest of my bandmates are like in the, in the main room and I'm, I'm sitting in the control room trying to, trying to do an overdub on a lead. And cause we're all playing this live, you know, it wasn't like layering tracks. We were just yeah. playing it live basically. And, um, so he kind of stops me in the middle of it and he said, Hey man, you want to work here? And I was like, Oh wow. You know, like what? And he was like, he's like, man, I need somebody like you in here. He said, can you work on amps and stuff? I was like, yeah, I can solder. I know what I'm doing with like at least guitars and stuff. He's, he said, well, he said, have you ever worked like on Neve consoles or any kind of outboard gear? And I said, no. He goes, well, he goes, can you solder? I go, yeah. He goes, well, then I'll show you everything you need to know. Wow. So he, I basically got a job out of that session. We didn't even finish the demos. It's hilarious. Like the demos. Really? Yeah, so went, you went in for these demos. You walked out with a job. Yeah. <laughs> wait wait a minute. A job so at, you didn't at, even at, like finish? the second. Yeah, no, we didn't. We, we got through him, but like the, the guy that put the money up, like was just an idiot and basically ah. dropped the ball on it. And he, he, he claimed that he gave it to a bunch of people, which I don't think he ever did. I think he was just blowing smoke, but, um, but ah. it was one of those things where, yeah. So I went in to do this demo that never got finished, but I got this amazing job out of it. So, so within like, you know, like basically we get done with the demo and I, I start working at Triclops and the first session that, that showed up was um uh was at the tail end of of warren haynes uh first solo record they were in the, they were they were doing some overdubs for his uh tales of the ordinary madness record which wow. was before government mule okay so this would have been like 91 92 okay and i mean yeah. you know like chuck chuck had some major i, I mean 
uh, Warren had some major hitters on this record, like Chuck Lavelle was playing keys. Uh, Nathan East played bass. Um, he had, um, God, I forgot who the drummer was. It was like Gary Husband or somebody. It was somebody insane. Man. Wow. Like, okay, this, so you know, serious. This ridiculous group yeah. of people. Yeah. And so, um, so after we, like we, it was kind of like Warren, we, we did the tail end of the Warren record. And then um, really the first record uh, I, I kind of was working on was um, Chuck Lavelle. After he had done that uh, Warren Haynes record, he came in to do, he was going to cut his own solo record at the time. Okay. And he had gotten a deal through somebody and he was going to put a solo record out. So we started working on Chuck's record and about a month into doing Chuck's record, uh, we're, we get, he gets a call one day at the studio and he said, Hey guys, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to stop this record. He goes, I just got a, I got the gig. Um, I got a gig playing with Eric Clapton. Oh, and so it was, he, he got, he got the gig for doing the unplugged record on MTV. Wow. He said, I got a flight in New York and I got to, I got to do this record, with this video thing uh, with Eric Clapton. So he's on that unplugged album. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's on the video and, yeah. and the unplugged, but he got the gig as he was cutting his, his, his solo record at the time. And then right after that, he he got the Rolling Stones gig. Oh wow! So it was like, yeah, we could wow. see why you're not going to finish the record show. Yeah, yeah, you got, <laughs> he got some other. He, some, he was a little bit busy. Yeah, wow. you, you, so, you just got you just basically got called from the two most iconic, you know, artists yeah. on earth. Yeah, yeah on earth. Yeah, wow. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So so that was kind of the first thing that never really got finished. But then right after that, um, this unknown this band that I had heard of but wasn't really into um, Smashing Pumpkins booked. Uh, there for uh, was booked for a session. Oh, okay. And um, you know, and usually when we did records, um, you know, it, you got to understand when we during those days when you had a studio, you know, you did a whole bunch of small independent like bands between big artists. You, yeah, like, you're always hoping to get big artists, but what kept the doors going was the local bands, sure, and, like yeah. smaller, yep. smaller bands coming in at all hours of the day trying just to record anything. Uh, and you know, back then recording it was a lot of money, man. It wasn't like you didn't have you know, you couldn't do the stuff in your living room. You had to go to a studio if you wanted to do totally yeah, it wasn't right. like today. No way yeah. around it. Man. Yeah, there wasn't. You know, there it, wasn't the way there. You didn't. There was no option to do it like that. Yeah, no. It was like, yeah. and and the, the only way you got people interested in your band is if, like, you know, it was almost like the calling card. Like, hey, I just spent ten grand on this demo. Okay, you're serious enough that we'll we'll come and look at you. Yeah, you know? sure. Yeah, it was never yeah. a guarantee that you would get a deal, but they would be at least go. Okay, well you're serious enough that you put some money up. Okay. We'll come check it out. You yeah. Know? Yeah. But, yeah. um, so, you know, we did all kinds of small bands between these bigger bands that we had at the time. And actually, so when pumpkins booked their thing, you know, they weren't a known band. They had just, they had done one record, which was Gish, which was an independent, you know, on Caroline, which was, was, was a fairly big record, like in the Seattle area. It was regional. It wasn't, you know, uh, I mean, it, it, people who were really yeah, in it scene hit. knew it, but nobody, nobody liked, you know, most people had no idea who the pumpkins were. No, yeah, people didn't know and the pumpkins so, um, until Siamese Dream. So, right, right. So, um, we did. So they come in and they start working on their record. And Butch Vig was their producer at the time, who was yet then still an unknown producer. Basically, you know, I mean, he had he had his name tied to Pearl Jam and some stuff later on. Yeah, and, but you know, he was another unknown guy. So we're like, okay, we you know we don't know who the producer is. We don't really know who this band is. So they come in. And it's, you know, like this huge drama. I mean, there's a well-known history about that band during that time period. There's a whole bunch of problems with everything. <laughs> oh, they, personality yeah, crisis, they get a, they get a history. You know, personality clashes to drugs, to all the typical. Oh, totally. Things, yeah. You know, so, 
Um, so it was a heavy session, man. It was one of those things where, um, you know, it was a lot of drama and there was a lot of, um, you know, start, stop, start, stop. We didn't know if it was going to get finished, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. at the time, you know, they, they didn't have a huge, huge budget. I think, I think they maybe had like a, a quarter million dollars, which at that time was not a big budget. Okay. You know, for, for a band that was on a major label. I mean, most major labels would dump a half a million to a million dollars. Oh record. yeah. I can believe it. Yeah. So, so 250 was on the low end of the scale for, for most, yeah. most stuff. Um, wow. wow. but it was, it was a cool, it was a cool experience because it was kind of oh, like, sure. you know, I got to see basically a band self-destruct in the studio and, and all <laughs> the, all the political garbage that went along with it with the label coming in. Oh really? Like, real yeah, deal, yeah, yeah, the yeah. real deal rock yeah, and roll. Yeah, yeah, and it was like, yeah, know. you had, you had the, I mean, those guys. You know, I got to give it to Corrigan, man. If you, if you watch the latest interview um, with him and Rick, he dives into a lot of this stuff during that time period. Which they did, cool. yeah, I did, I did watch it the other day. It was it's great. And he, he basically, you know, those guys were were under the gun, and it was one of those things where you know, if that record hadn't done anything, they were going to get dropped, and they were going to be basically unknown for the rest of their life. So everything was on the line. So Corrigan you know, took it very seriously. He was like, man, you know, I, I want to make this record a hit. Wow. And if we don't, we're screwed. So there was a whole bunch of added pressure on him to, to like really pull through and get everything done. And so him and Butch were really, you know, I got to see those guys work as a team. And then Mark Richardson, who was the head engineer at the studio, who was an, one of the best engineers I've ever worked with. I mean, phenomenal engineer and a phenomenal musician uh, across the board. Just amazing, amazing man. And, um, you know, he, it, it's, and even Corgan says on that, on that interview that that record wouldn't have got finished without Mark and which was true because Mark really tied a lot of things together in that session. So I, you know, I was privy to watching this every day for six months and seeing how all oh, what an experience how, that must've been. You know, how, how how back worked. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to see, you know, and I, and at the time I had no engineering experience. I had no uh, producing any of that. So I got to see firsthand what the real, you know, what the real reality was be from the bullshit. You know, it was like, yeah. okay, you know, these guys are seriously like, we're not going to get paid unless we finish this record. So there was a whole bunch of stuff on the back end that I learned just being around all of that. Uh, and on top of the time, on top of that, you know, I was there to work. I had to tech, you know, I had to, to make sure machines were still working and amps were still working and guitars were being set up and like you know so i had my daily gopher gig that i had to do all this other stuff about and uh, you know i just learned the ins and outs of running a studio and um which was you know not only was it running a studio but was one of the best studios in town in the south yeah and um you know so i got to work on a neat so, console and so let's just be clear was, you're talking about siamese dream right yeah, yeah. yeah. Tommy yeah, Green yeah. was the session that I worked on. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just be clear yeah. what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, just, rock I, I don't know if our listeners, really I don't know if our listeners were following this. Like, they we're talking about Siamese Dreams recording. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Can you talk so, a little and, bit? You know, it, can you talk a little bit? So that about, was like basically my intro to 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 the studio end of things. Okay. You know, right. I mean, I got thrown in on the deep end right off the bat. I mean, it was like I said, this was I couldn't have planned my life out. If, if I had tried, it, it was this like is similar to your where, story from GIT. You just get like, it's a tri trial by fire with everything you've learned. Right. Right. Like, Which I always mean, seems to be, yeah. it always seems to happen to me like that. Every part of, of what I've done has always ended up being like that. So whether it was, you know, going to school or studio stuff or, or even doing like the, the stuff with Rick, you know, it was all just right place, right time. And really like, um, 
just not, I, mean, I hate to say the word lucky cause I don't believe in luck, but I think it's, it was just one of those things. It was like, I was ready for the places I was put in, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, no. Yeah. You work for it. I mean, you make your own, yeah, luck. I, I always, I mean, especially in the music industry, you make your own luck, you know, you gotta be good. Yeah, man. I mean, I was never, I was yeah. never handed that stuff. I was there yeah. because, uh, you know, like Mark hired me because he saw my talents and he was like, okay, yep. you deserve to be in here. So yep, and that was, totally. you know, so that was, that was how it, how it worked. Yeah. So, that's, that's, um, that's an awesome story, Dave. Um, yeah. What was, um, let's see, there's so much I want to ask you about like that and other things, but no, we got to have you on but, another time. But we have to have you on another time, but I want to, I want to know that quickly. Cause you, you were playing with Zach Brown band for, for a little bit there or a while. There. Yeah. So, so well, how did that yes, come about? I worked at, well, I worked at Tricops from, from like 92 to like 96. Yeah. And then after that, um, Mark Richardson, the owner of the studio, me and him, basically we became best friends and we were like brothers. That's and awesome. so he, he, when I, when he decided he was going to leave and get out of it, he was going to go to another studio here in town. And I said, well, if you're going, I'm going, so whatever. So I followed him to another studio and we did, and at Tricops, you know, right after Smashing Pumpkins, we did um, Courtney Love and Hole, and then we did um, Corrosion and Conformity, Deliverance, and then wow. um, the last hmm. record I was sort of around for was a band called Brother Kane, which um, was a great band from Birmingham, and they're still around actually, but um, they had a song called Fool Shine On, which was a really good good song in the mid, uh, mid-90s. And um, they were kind of I like, I, a, I think I remember. Yeah. Why do I remember they were, that? They, yeah. <laughs> they were kind of, they were kind of, a, the only way I can describe it, they were like, you remember Cry of Love? Mm. That band Cry of Love from Raleigh? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, man, yeah. definitely check out Cry of Love. <laughs> okay. That's, right, that's one you need, to, you need to know. Okay. Yeah. All right. Those guys and uh, Brother Kane were, were kind of, they were kind of sort of a bad company, Black Crows, you know, 70s influenced band, but 90s, you know okay and um yeah uh but so after after the triclops thing was kind of over and done i went to another studio uh, in town that was owned by a guy here in town that um he had basically more money than he knew what he was doing with and um he opened up a <laughs> studio it was it was a lot smaller it wasn't as big so we did a lot of regional bands there but bands like driving and crying and like bruce hampton did some stuff there and, and so there was still we still had you know like um uh Georgia satellites. We did, you know, we did some more regional stuff. Oh, okay. And, um, so then, uh, that studio closed and my, my friend Mark went up to New York to work and I wasn't going to, I hated New York, so I didn't want to move. So I just stayed here. And then, uh, I was playing in local bands the entire, the entire time I was playing at Tricox, I was always playing in bands around town and doing gigs. So it was like, I was always constantly busy. Um, even if I wasn't at the studio, I was out playing gigs or on the road with, with like regional bands and stuff. Um, and so I get a call, it's like around 1999, I get a call from a friend of mine who was a, a, a really good drummer. And, um, he said, man, he goes, I'm playing with this guy. He said, you need to come down and check us out, man. We need a guitar player. And he goes, I want to try to get you in this band. And I said, yeah, I'll come check you out. So, um, it was like, like I said, it would have been like, yeah, 1999. Um, which or, 1999, 2000, right in there, and um, yep. which right before the right, I'm, I got to kind of backtrack. I'm trying to remember how in sequence. So if I backtrack one year, so like 1998, actually, I joined up with um, uh, I was playing bass for um, Sylvain Sylvain from the New York Dolls, who actually lived here. 
Oh, we had yeah. a, we had a trio. We had a trio for a while, and I was, oh, wow. I was like his tour touring bass player. And um, so we did. We were doing some tours up and down the coast. We went up to Chicago and did some stuff up in New York, and went out west a little bit. And um, this was before the Dolls got reformed, like. 10, 15 years ago. So he was, he was a solo artist. So he was just doing all the dolls material, but it was just under his name. And, um, so we, and we did some fun stuff. We, we went up and we played some gigs where like Wayne Kramer sat in it with us from the MC five, which was, I was a huge MC five fan. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's part. cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we had like cheetah Chrome from the dead boys. And we had like Clem Burke from Blondie and, and like a whole bunch of different cool people from like CBGBs. The Ramones came out one night and um yep. I, I got to meet johnny he was he oh was that's awesome was it how was that and um <laughs> oh he johnny was a trip man he was he was pretty you know tight-lipped man he wasn't really a gabber but um uh and this would have been this would have been like after the ramones basically were done so they were yeah yeah they had basically retired so he was just he was just floating around and he it was up in new york and he he knew sill and he called Sil because hey i heard you're playing tonight because yeah come on down so so johnny came down he was cool and um um, I laughed too because it was the first time I'd ever seen Johnny without his leather jacket. I just came in with a jean jacket. It was like so, <laughs> it's so weird seeing him without his, you know, his uniform. You know, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, yeah, that's. But wild. he was he was fun, man. He oh, was fun. They had, they had some great stories, you know. But um, so I'm playing baseball Sylvain at the time. Yeah, and um, I come back to Atlanta and I get a call from a friend of mine. He, like I said, this really good drummer friend of mine who who was a session guy around town, really phenomenal drummer. He said, man, I just joined this band. And he goes, this guy, Zach Brown, he's like a, an acoustic guy, sort of like a wannabe Dave Matthews, which at the time he was. Oh, that's um, he funny. Had like, that he is had, funny. He had multicolored dreadlock uh, dreads tied into his hair, like down to his ass. And it was Really? Like, <laughs> yeah. 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 It was, was not country. I never all. knew like, this about seen, Zach Brown. I don't know the yeah, history. What you, what you wow. see, not, well, not many people do, but yeah, it, yeah. it's one of those things where, yeah, he was, he was like a Dave Matthews type guy. He was, yeah. uh, you know, sort of half hippie kind of sort of acoustic stuff. And, um, okay. So I came, so I went down to a gig and I saw him play. And, um, after I saw him play, I w honestly, I wasn't sold on it, but I knew, the drummer so well i was like man i'd love to play with Rand because he's such a great player yeah, and then okay the, he told me he said man there's this young kid playing bass it's like the best bass player i've ever played with and so i got in the band because uh jake lawson the guy who was playing bass yeah. was one of the best bass players i'd ever seen like who wasn't oh, wow. known and i was sold on just playing with that rhythm section i was like man these guys are in this band i'll i'll, I'll definitely do this band i don't care who's out front you're like i'll do it yeah and, yeah <laughs> yeah yeah cuz i just want to play with these two dudes you know that's cool and yeah. so wow. we be, so i joined up with with uh, with Zach and and that lineup of the band uh and like i was like 1999 yeah this is long, so this is long he, before he yeah. became Zach brown band yeah this well, is yeah. this is way yeah. this is a good a good like probably five six years before anything happened yeah yeah yeah. and so um so we played a local place here in town called the dixie tavern which was like kind of our, our local like um house club kind of gig and we played there on a bunch of weekends where we we would just show up and play impromptu stuff and have jams and stuff and it was a pretty big size club and so after a couple of years we you know like we probably hit that place a good Oh, maybe like six months to a year, we played there pretty steadily and built up a crowd. And, and there was kind of a buzz going around town about us. And, cool. and we were filling the place out. And it was, it was about a, you could probably get on a good night, if it was totally packed out, you could probably get 
four or five hundred people in that. Oh, club. okay. So we yeah, were, some we, pretty good we were, local yeah, club. Decent yeah. size, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We were, yeah. So it was. It wasn't a total dive little little. You know. Yeah, hundred person. Box. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. a good size room. Yeah, that's cool. So, so we were filling this place out, and we started doing some some southern touring, like like kind of Florida and Tennessee, Alabama. We would kind of do these frat house gigs and at, sure. at colleges, and just go around and do that whole thing. Yeah. So we did that for for a couple of years. And we built up a, a good following. You know, we were able to kind of like play Atlanta and and fill it out. And so we got a bunch of um, management companies that were interested in us. They had a couple of labels come out and show interest. And we did showcases. And the, thing, the whole thing with the showcases was like, basically, they didn't know how to sell the band because it was like, they would give us these things like it was too rock for country. It was too country for country rock. For you rock. Know, this, yeah. was, <laughs> this was kind of before all the kid rock and like bro country stuff had been. Yes. So this, yes. This would have been you. We were still in like, um, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus era. Oh yeah. yeah very, yeah. very twangy yeah. country still. Yeah, yeah. It was still, you know, you still yeah. had like, you know, Dwight Yoakam was still on the charts, you know, it was still yeah. a, a little more straight up kind of that style stuff. Yeah. And totally, the judges yeah. and that kind of thing. Yep. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah, um, so. and at the time, he, you know, uh, Zach was not a country guy. He, he was more, like I said, into, um, like I said, Dave Matthews was a now, big one. James now, Taylor. Okay. Jimmy yeah, Buffett. That kind of, so were you guys, so that's really interesting. Cause that makes more sense to me. Why he's into like that kind of reggae ish stuff. You know, is a lot right. of that. You hear a lot of that on his albums, like Jimmy Buffett style, yeah. I would say. Not, not yeah, that's totally what I was reggae, just say, but, Buff, that was a yeah. total Jimmy Buffett thing. Yeah. That's a Jimmy Buffett. So were you and, guys, and what's, were you guys like a jam band, like Dave Matthews ish, like jammy or what? We, not really? No, we, okay. when I was in the band with, with the lineup we had, um, it was more like, I, I was trying to make it into more like an Almond Brothers, ZZ Top. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, yeah. 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 Of course yep, you were. Yep. That, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, because that's what I, you know, that's what yeah. I was into. And yeah. so I was like, okay. And so when people you know say oh well, you know southern country it was like, i was thinking like oh almond brothers yeah okay yeah yeah yep. that, that yeah, they, they you more blues that's awesome kind of yeah. things yeah so so when we uh, at that time like i said during that period of the band um yeah we jammed a lot but we did it more like almond brother style jam it wasn't like grateful dead noodling around we were oh, like God. totally going <laughs> going for it you know oh that's great so it was yeah. like you know I, I tried to i tried to make it like you know how i'd want to see a southern rock band because it really weren't any southern rock bands around that time and black crows were pretty much over and done by that point yeah yep. and they yep. were kind of the last hurrah of yeah, late 90s rock. early yep. 2000s yeah they yeah. were so yeah, that's a good point so we were in a weird position so i was like well you know let's if they're going to pass the torch it's like let's try to revive the almond heavy almond brothers kind of like mm. you know type deal and granted we didn't have we had two guitar players but jack didn't play lead he just played acoustic rhythm stuff so yeah, yeah it was yeah. up to me to do all the lead work so basically what ended up being was it kind of was like it kind of was sort of an almond brothers easy top like um cream kind of band backing up zach brown and we did all kinds of covers from like tom petty to uh, you name it you know almond That's brothers cool. easy top um but we would do stuff that was on the radio too we would do you know like weird stuff like um um man um trying to think bands during that time period like you know stone temple pilots yeah and yeah, like, yeah yeah um you Some know, of the all that kind of stuff you know wow yeah. that's unbelievable yeah, that's so, crazy so, story. Then, so then what ended up happening like it just you you know he wasn't gonna 
you know, it just kind of kind of got played out because you knew it wasn't going to. Well, end up we being... we ended up we ended up doing yeah. this that that lineup of the band, the last incarnation before it all kind of went south was uh, Jimmy, the the the, the um, fiddle player, joined us, and he had just learned how to play fiddle. He was not a he was not a professional. Wait, at really? All. Literally, wow. had, literally, had only been playing like a year when he is joined. he still his fiddle player now? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so he's come oh, a long way. So the guy. Yeah, yeah. So it was one of the. This is like, like you, you know, too. Like we never, we didn't know how to play the instruments. We started a band, right? He was cut. Yeah, he was cutting his teeth and was really thrown in the deep end on when we were jamming because he was like, he was, you know, he was used to he was he was used to playing more country stuff and we weren't playing country, man. We were whipping out, you know. I mean, I remember distinctly one time we played Beer Drinkers Hellraisers by ZZ Top, and he's looking at us like, "Oh my God, what am I going to play?" What the hell am I going to play? <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, I don't know, dude, but you're gonna have to keep up. You got if you're sitting on stage, you're gonna have to do something. So, yeah, you gotta do so something, he, dude. He threw some curveballs, and, and he he did okay, man. He hung in there, and he, you know, and Jimmy was a nice guy. I mean, he was, he was a good cat. So I think, and he I, was, I mean, you know, I, and he was super young, you know. So yeah, I was like, I, I wasn't I, gonna like, yeah. you know, like, hey, man, you suck, get out. Yeah, right, right, right. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. But that's amazing. So, so he ended up sticking with Zach, and then you know, the rest is history. But wow, yeah, and it, yeah, so the band yeah. kind of. It kind of without getting into too much yeah, yeah. stuff. It was one of those of things where we got to a point where we had showcased a bunch. We had like just toured for like two, like basically two years hard, doing a bunch of dates all over the place, and nothing yeah. was really going on. And we kept getting the same sort of response, like we don't know what to do with you guys. We know you guys can sell, and at the time, the um, the <laughs> one of the guys who worked at the bar that we played at was the bartender he was a songwriter and he would he would like we would do some original we would throw some original songs in with all these cover tunes and um this guy wyatt durrett who was um a bartender at dixie tavern was was friends with zach and he would say hey man you know i got a couple of these songs try these songs out and see how they do so like chicken he wrote chicken fried he wrote toes he wrote like the first three or four big hits for zach brown oh, wow those were not zach's tunes okay those were actually wide direct songs well That's we had played those songs for a couple of years before they were ever wow. on the radio so you actually played so, those songs oh we played chicken fried like two or three times a night man we would wow. play that song and people would go nuts for it and we would like we would like you know open up with it and then by the end of the show people would be screaming for it again so we'd play it again. <laughs> That's amazing. And we did our own version of it. it, it the, the version we did was a lot heavier, more guitar yeah, driven yeah, than, yeah, yeah, than yeah. what ended up being you know. So, um, but wow. you can kind of get. I mean, if you listen to that song, you just replace all the acoustic and fiddle and with Marshalls and Les Paul. And oh, okay, I get it. I get it. Now, I'd know, love so to hear was, that version. Yeah. Like an ACD, like if ACDC had played it, that's what. Like it like ACDC man, would, does Zach Brown. It's like, a little bit of chicken fat, which which was which was really what Kid Rock ended up doing. You know, so that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah, it was, like, yeah, yeah, that's a it good was point. like an early version of what Kid Rock kind of did. Right. Oh man. And um, and so so we got to a point where it, the whole band, it, we were just sort of disenchanted with the whole thing. And sure, yeah. you know, we were kicking ass at these gigs and people going, man, you guys are so good. I don't understand how you don't have a deal. And we, we, we kind of were like, we don't understand why we don't, we don't understand honestly. either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we're, we're, I mean, you know, we weren't tuning our own horn, but we were a really good band, super tight and we could play, man. Like we, you know, I mean, we would get these gigs where people would go, Hey, can you play four and five hour gigs? And we'd like playing with no problem. Wow, you know, we would just we would take songs that was like, man, you want us to, to, to do a twenty minute version of uh, you know American Girl by Tom Petty? We'll do it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Wow, and we would. 
and we would, great. man. We break great. stuff down and do do solo sessions yep, yep. and do you know, and just do just some cool stuff, out, our man. own arrangements of stuff. Yeah, man. You nah, know, that's really and like cool. I said, it wasn't that Jamie kind of like Grateful Dead thing. It was like it was more like Black Crows. Yeah, like yeah, that kind of Jones. Yeah, yeah. You know, Stones with some Almond Brothers. And, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so. not that's a this is unbelievable. Like I never would have guessed that was the origin of the Zach Brown band. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, it, it's, so it's cool. a weird backstory. So yeah. by like night by like 2002, the, the that version of the band, we just had enough of of it, and um, and it was one of those things where we kind of could see that the it was going toward like if we did get a deal, we weren't going to be on the record because. At that time, if you got a deal in Nashville, you had Dan Huff and all these guys coming in. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't play on your own record, you know? So we're all sitting there going, I'm kind of sitting there going, man, even if I stick with this, I'm not even going to be on this record if we we put a record out. Yeah. Because I I knew the business, you know, I knew how it ran. You had been in it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And I'm like, I'm like, I'm just going to avoid that crap altogether. Yeah. And uh, because I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get writer's credits because there's no real original songs that any of yeah. us were, were allowed to kind of write or, or at least were able to, to, to get to for Richard with, with the songs to where they would actually maybe make a record, uh, make it on a record, I should say. Um, wow. So it was kind of one of those things was like, okay, it's a Zach Brown show now. And it's like, we're kind of like always going to be side guys and okay, that's cool. But that's not the end all be all for me. And I, and I just sort sure. of saw the signs of how every, it was all going to end up and where the music kind of was going anyways. It, he wanted to go a lot more, country and jimmy buffett kind of thing and i was like yeah that's not really what i'm into so yeah yeah i mean i can play it thing. you know i'll play that's it, not I, a big not place my first choice yeah, yeah i can see how they were i mean even now like if you listen to the electric guitar on his on his albums like it's very like sparse i would say and like you know like very clean yeah. clean not a lot yeah. of distortion which um, which is which is a shame because yeah. one of the guys in his band clay cook is an amazing guitar player and he should get a lot more oh, i mean the us. stuff the stuff is tasty, and, um, like it's tasty playing. Yeah, right? you can tell the guy yeah, he's yeah, got yeah, some yeah. serious chops. But it's like, I mean, yeah, I never, Clay, I've never seen him live. I never seen him live, but I yeah. heard that you know they stretch out a little bit, and the guitarist does some great stuff. Yeah, they that, do, so. they do. Yeah. And um, yeah, um, but he's uh, the guy that sort of he had a few guitar players that were after I had left the band. But uh, yeah, uh, I'm glad that Clay Cook, who actually I knew while I was working in music stores here in Atlanta, he was a local guy around town, so I knew Clay. You know. Uh, wow. just by from bands in town he you know him and uh john mayer played together for a while when oh john yeah john Mayer, another band. another guy that um kind of got started in georgia right yeah yeah, yeah. Totally. actually i i yeah uh, i actually used to go see john play all the time down in buckhead on some oh really cool. oh cool yeah, yeah. Uh, dave do you but still was, keep you know, in touch with him before he ever yeah you you hear you ever hear uh, from zach <laughs> i don't hear from zach but i i you know i know his some of his uh his band members i see from time to time like john hopkins oh, cool. the drummer in my band the, uh, that i have now um the barbaric gentleman my drummer mike rizzi plays with john hopkins in his solo project so oh, cool. so okay. we you know so by see... six ways of separation yeah. we still kind of keep in touch but um but no i, I don't talk to zach at all i i I saw him once, maybe about three years after the whole thing kind of fell out, and it was sort of like whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah just, I mean, no, I'm, happy for, I'm happy for all those guys. I mean, that's yeah. just, you know, yeah, just the way the just the way the biz do, works, right? I mean, yeah, the business. Yeah, works and that it, way, it, yeah. it just honestly, man, it was it was uh, you know, um, I I was I at that point I was kind of done with it, and I just wanted to go and do other stuff. So it was fine. I'm you know I'm like 
uh, I have no ill ill will for well, for any of that. No, that is not, why they well, do what they that do. That is definitely it not like a, a good run. Yeah, it sounds like a good run, and that, that is definitely had. not a story we expected to hear tonight when we started this thing. Because that I know, sir. Well, I, yeah, I saw man. that. I saw that you said yeah. that, and you were like, "Oh yeah, I played in the Zyper." I'm like, "Whoa!" So listen, Dave. Like we're 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 coming up on time here, but I want you to be able to okay. talk about like yourself a little bit more. Like, just tell us quickly. Like, you know, you get the dojo, you know, guitar repair, you know. You know, I know yeah. you make you make you make your own custom guitars. You're a builder as well. Um, what, yeah. what what yeah. what what else is going on with you these days? Well, um, for basically since about 2005, um, I basically started uh, just kept playing locally uh, in in clubs and in regional bands around here and doing studio work. Yep. And um, and so, um, long story short, I met Rick Beato years ago at Triclops when I was working at Triclops. Oh, okay. His band yeah. Billionaire came in and did a demo, and we met. And he used to come into stores that I was working at. All you know, uh, the whole stream through all of this is uh, if, if I tell any give anybody good advice, if you're in this business, you know, stay in this business. If you if you can't just live by playing, um, you got you got to do 15 other gigs to stay afloat. So I'm one of those guys where it's like. I do guitar repair. I used to do live sound. I used to um, do studio work. Yeah. I used to, you know, obviously repair and build stuff. Um, you know, anything to make a, make, keep my bills paid and keep my head above water. You know, I was like, uh, you know, sure. Jack of all trades, master of none, but, but got better and better as I did. Them. So, yeah. Um, wow, so basically from 2005 on, I decided I really wanted to kind of like start doing my, you know, build some guitars and, um, because I had been since I was a teenager, like I used to, you know, since I was such a Van Halen freak, you know, watching Eddie put his own stuff together, that was like, oh man, I want to put my stuff together. So I, I ever since my teenage years, I was always building, assembling yeah. strats and tellies and, you know, modern guitars, putting humbuckers and stuff and, you know, just whatever, installing Floyd Rose and, and all kinds of stuff. So, um, nice. <clears throat> so I, my, my whole thing was like, um, in 2005, I was like, all right, well, I want to kind of start my own sort of brand or my own thing. And, uh, so I, I, um, started working for, um, there was a local guitar repair guy here in town named Richard Echeverria in the, in the eighties and nineties. And, um, he was like probably the best guy in town as far as a luthier. So I walked oh, nice. in one day and I just said, I just told him, I said, Hey man, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a local I gave him my spiel and I told him who I'd worked with. And I told him I, you know, I'd worked at Triclops. He goes, Oh, you know, Mark. I was like, yeah, he goes, I used to work there. He goes, Oh man. He goes, yeah. He goes, I'd love to have him here. And I showed him my work and what I could do. And he was like, okay, you're competent enough. He goes, I don't have to oversee everything you're doing. I don't have to sit there and spoon feed you how to do a refret and you oh, know, yeah. cut nuts and, and all the, all the, the basic stuff. And uh, so I worked for Richard on and off for, for a couple of years and then he closed shops and moved away. So when he closed shop, I was kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm going to continue it, but I'm just going to do it out of my house. And I had, I knew enough guys in locally, as far as the, the best players locally, I knew if I called them up or let them know I was doing guitar repair that I would get work, you know? Yeah. Sure. So these guys, yeah. all these guys in town were, were like, yeah, man. Okay, cool. Cause they're really, Atlanta is weird, man. It's never really, it's never really had, like a ton of great repair guys. It's like always been like two or three guys. And oh, that was pretty much it, which is kind of that way now. But, um, uh, but, uh, you know, I just saw how the local market was and I'm, I'm sitting there going, well, you know, I know all these players and all these guys are taking their guitars and people. And I know I can do as good a work or better work than the guys are taking them. To. Sure. So, yeah. 
I was like, you know, I just start cold calling guys going, Hey man, you know, if you got any work, um, if you need this or that or whatever, you know? And, and so I just built up a roster, a Rolodex of people of, of like 50 to a hundred really like players that I respected and, and that were good. I thought would be good calling cards for, for more business and, uh, and studios also. And, um, and so I just started around going around doing work and picking guitars up and dropping them off. And, you know, and just became good friends with a lot of a lot of different people in town. So my name got around, and they, you know, my name was around anyways from from my past before. Uh, you know, most people knew me in town from playing in bands that were known around town. But, yeah, um, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and they come out and they and, and I, I'd always be playing weirdo guitars. I never, you know, was playing stuff right off the rack. So I'd half the time people go, "Man, where'd you get that guitar?" I'm like, "Oh, well, I built it." And they're like, "Oh, well, can you can you build me something?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure, of course." You know, so. <laughs> so I built my business up by doing, doing that. And um, that's awesome. Yeah. And so, so like I said, it's kind of, you I mean, you got to hustle in this business, man. If, you, yeah, if you're going totally. to do it, you can't just go, well, I'm just going to do one thing and expect people to just sort of, you know, come to your door for that. You know, yeah, yeah, even totally. if you're the best at it, it's still going to be hard to do that. So, well, you sent us so some pictures, like, you sent us some pictures yeah. of your guitars and they just look incredible. <laughs> we're going to post them and we're going to put them up on Instagram and the Facebook group. And, um, they just look oh, so thanks, cool. Man, cool. They look so like you get, you yeah, get the ones you sent were tellies, right? But you said they yeah, were, neck, I've got did a, you say they were neck through tellies. Yeah. I've got, yeah, I got a, <laughs> the, the green one. They're the metallic green one. That's in that yeah. picture um, with yeah. two humbuckers. That's actually a neck through. It's actually a hollow body. It's it's like a Dan Electro. It's a, um, Oh really? It's got a, a center. It's got a center block down the center and the top and the back are actually Masonite. And then the, the neck that goes through the middle of the neck is all maple. Wow, oh, wow. So totally. it's super light. It's like, it's like a thin line, but it's super light. And, so um, cool. Because that guitar is like one of my main live guitars. And, you know, I mean, I do, you know, three, four-hour sets, man. You know, so. Yeah, yeah, Paul, yeah. I, know, Paul, yeah. Man, you, I didn't want the Jimmy Page lean after, you know. Oh, yeah. Hours, you know? So <laughs> the Les like, Pauls, playing like, Les Pauls is is really tough on a, on a cover band gig. Uh, yeah, man, I love them, but game. man, you know, yeah, even even too, at bro. even at eight yeah. eight pounds on a light one, it's like, man, it, you still feel it at the end of the night. Man. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. I, at I'm least pretty, for an old geezer. You, you know, know <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm so well, I'm not, I'm not sorry to say, but I mean, for cover bands, you know, the HSS Strat is is kind of hard to beat for me at least because I'm yeah, in like a, I'm yeah, in like sure. a dan- I'm in like a dancey band, you know, yeah. so. I gotta sure, be, sure. be able to do clean. I gotta be able to do yeah, you know, hard on rock, full on rock. So the HSS draft yeah. for me has been the best, the best combo for yeah. that. So <laughs> yeah, it's the kind of you yeah. know, Swiss Army knife I guitar. Yeah, yeah, it's like Swiss, yeah. yeah, it's like you know, but you know, but I still like to bring the Les Pauls and play them when I really want to do some rock. Sure. But sure. There's another guitarist in my band, so I don't I don't have to play everything. So it's pretty it's pretty good that. Oh well, then see you're lucky because all my bands <laughs> are power trios. So oh yeah, nice like, man. I, I gotta work, man. I gotta. Oh, work. that's yeah, awesome. You know, you're not, yeah, not yeah, one yeah. moment off, right? I'd love to. Yeah, I'd no. love to think. I'd love to think I have the chops to play in a power trio, but I, I, I don't. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, because I'm, you know, I'm a singer. I sing and I sing in my band. I'm the singer okay, in my yeah. band. So it's like I'd love to be able to like do both. You know, like the YNT guy. But it's like, ah, yeah. No, it's <laughs> tough, man. I, I always tell people, uh, you know, people are like, man, you know, you practice a lot. I said, luckily. I don't have to because I have a being in a trio band. Every gig is like I got to step up and play it. I can't lay out. So it's like I don't have, you know, I don't do gigs that are, you know, I get to lay back, man. I'm like on. Yeah, you're on all the time. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. that's it's incredible. That's really great. And and that's you know a lot of young players that I talk to. I always tell them it's like, man, 
get in a trio band that will be one of the best things you could ever do for your playing because you know when you know when to shut up you know what you know you you basically learn space you know totally what not what not to play what you know you don't overplay you play what's for the song and then you still get to rip you know so it's like okay, yeah 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 i'd like to have fun I'd, but but yeah, it, it yeah. makes you work man it really makes you work i'm gonna i i have i have like a pipe dream you know i'm i'm, I'm kind of older now but i have a pipe dream of doing it someday <laughs> yeah you know like put together oh, I, I tell people put together no, it, a three-hour set is, yeah 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 and then and then it's also the other thing about the power trio thing um, you know, you make more money, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was only three. Well, it, you make more money, and it's easy because I'm in this band now. There's like freaking six people. We're thinking about it as a seventh. It's like, come on, guys. It's like the Zach Brown. Yeah, good. It's like the, it's like the East Street good luck band. Trying to get everybody on a schedule. Just oh yeah, yeah. All right, Dave. Don't get him on. Don't get him on the drama of his band. Oh, Dave, you're yeah, right. Yeah, right. Dave, you are so right. It's unbelievable. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, that half, half the problem of half the problem of having a band is just trying to get people to show up. It's, yeah, it's at, a schedule. At the same time. Yeah, it's the same yeah. time. Oh man, right. it's so tough. It's so tough. But because anyway. everybody's, oh, I got my job, or I got you know my exactly. Yeah, when you do it, when you do it, yeah, when you do yeah. it as a hobby like we, I do, it's like forget it. You know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Power Trio, you got you know you got three guys, so you really can't blame anybody else if, if somebody starts you know waffling out you're like you, you give them shit because you're like man come on dude you know yeah, you gotta, yeah, we're like, gonna blow this gig and, and and good money because you know so it, it just makes you work man and I, i'm one of those people it's like i don't like being in bands where uh you know you're kind of on autopilot or can go on autopilot to me that's kind of the, the, the not the reason to play yeah it's like totally. i like the, i like the excitement of walking in not knowing what i'm gonna do and you know having having enough confidence to be like all right i can pull this off but i have no idea what yeah, yeah, yeah. So every one, I don't know how it's going to yeah, happen. Every, every one of my bands that I'm in, I mean, we, we play the same songs, but we have sections where, you know, they're, they're all improv. So, That's I mean, awesome. we do like, we do like the Who Young Man Blues and we do like the version off of um, oh, cool. Live at Leeds. So, it's like, you know, it's like the 15 minute version. Oh, cool. And, you know, you, you're not going to learn that note for note no, off the record. No. You're going to go for it, you know. So, yeah, you just got to have to um, do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's great, Dave. Um, look, look, Dave. So we gotta, we got we gotta wrap up, Dave. But because we're yeah, way over yeah, our man. normal time, but but we really no appreciate. I mean, you got so many. We're gonna have to have you back. Yeah, on we definitely have to have so you back on. We gotta finish stories. all these stories. We all, we we yeah, have just you, started oh, to yeah, scratch. Man. The well, <laughs> we're well, just scratching yeah, I'll, the surface. I'll, I'll finish up how I'll finish up how me and Rick got how together. So. Oh yeah, tell us that quickly. Yeah. So basically, yeah. I, I met him at Triclops, and we kept in touch over the years. And I did his guitar work for a long time, and then. Uh, he, I used to get called for studio sessions by him. He would call me in to do solos and, and guitar parts on bands that he was working on. That's cool. And, and as his, you know, as a producer, he was doing some pretty big bands at the time. He did Shine Down. He did Need to Breathe. He did one of Vince Neil's records. You know, I mean, he he had his name in the hat and was was doing some legit projects. Sure. And so he would call he would call me in and go, Hey man, you know, he, he liked my playing and he was always complimentary. He said, Man, you're like one of my favorite players. He said, I want you to come in and cut some stuff for him. I was like, Yeah, sure. So so I started doing studio stuff for him and uh, he used to call me one take Dave because he, he would just roll tape and go and, and literally would go, I'm not even recording this, just play. And he would play me a section. I, I never even heard the song. He would just play me a section. All right, play over this. So I would just go in and play over it and he goes, okay, we got it. And it would be literally <laughs> like the first pass. That's of not incredible. Even knowing, you know, and he would just go, man, you got it, dude. He goes, that's, you know, we maybe would do two or three takes to see if I could beat it. Is this and is nine the- times out of 10, I, I couldn't, or I was just repeating what I'd just done. Yeah. So 
That's like, crazy. Yeah, man, one take, you know, so that's that's kind of how is we this met one? And got is this when Rick had the long beard? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been yeah, that would have been like his Rick Rubin phase. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> yeah right. Before yeah, the Daniel slick back Locke, hair, yeah. before the slick back gray hair. Yeah, yeah, man. He had he had longer hair and he had his Yeah, yeah. Hair. Oh man, so, so yeah. funny. It's so, oh, man. so this would have been this would have been like early two thousands, like up to like maybe around two thousand ten. Okay. Oh, okay. Right. So, oh my god. And he he had he the studio that he's in now that he does his videos with his 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 audio studio. So I used to go there to cut records. And um it's here in Atlanta. And so um um, he had a great studio. So, you know, when he called me up, when we, we were talking, he, he, he was getting out of producing. He didn't want to do it anymore. He was so burnt out. He said, man, I can't do this anymore because I'm thinking about just quitting. And he said, the business is going down the drain anyways. But the labels are all going to go down the drain from Spotify and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, with all the streaming. Napster, yeah. and, there's Napster and all that crap. So he was like, the writing's on the wall. I guess, dude, he goes, this, this is not even going to be here in two years. So he was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I said, man, you know, I said, why don't you, you know, just you're such a, at the time he never played guitar, man. He was like, he would play guitar on some of these on records that he would work on, but I knew he was a jazz player. And I'm like, dude, you can totally shred jazz. Why don't you go play some stuff? Because man, I don't want to play that crap because I can't make any money at it. And it's boring to me because I don't want to do it. I said, well, why don't you then teach because you're a great teacher. I was like, man, he is, you, know, yeah. you know, I was like, man, yeah. you've got all this knowledge, dude. You, you can't like waste it. Okay. You know, so I was always on his ass about, you need to play, man. You need to play. And um, so he was like, well, we'll figure something out. He's like, I don't know. I got some ideas. So then we started talking. He said, man, I'm thinking about doing a video online lesson um, thing for, for YouTube, which was in its infancy at the time. Yeah. He was like, I think I'm going to do that platform. He said, I think I, I think I can do some videos and try to sell the videos. So he called me, a guy, Chris Green, who's another really great guitar player here in town, a good friend of mine and me and Rick. Nice. And uh, he was in a band called Takeda, which kind of had a, were kind of a journey type like jeffria bon jovi kind of band okay yeah, yeah. Um, but chris is a great great player great shredder guitar player really good and um but really you know shredder but really tasteful you know yeah um, yeah sure yeah and so we we did some some videos for rick and they totally bombed they he, he did like an early test run on his on his channel and it did absolutely nothing so we were like okay we don't know what the hell we're gonna do so he started doing these videos where it was just us, us basically bullshitting. It was like me and him and Rhett was one of his interns at his studio at the time. And he said, man, he goes, what do you think about, you know, coming in? We'll just talk gear, man. Cause you, you know, so much about gear, just start talking. And I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll come over and just do whatever. So that's kind of how it all began, man. It was all organic and, and nothing planned, like everything in my life. It just sort of happened. And it was like, and here we are now, you know, so it's that's like awesome. continuing that's- still do it so. it's still do it and then yeah and then you know Rhett came into the fold and you guys are like this amazing trio when you guys get together. yeah it's great it's like, it's, it's you guys so cool. yeah well and, and the yeah. thing is is it, you know it's funny because none of it was ever scripted we've, we've never walked into a video and said okay this is what we're going to talk it's like yeah maybe we'll talk about this i don't know you know it's like how you guys run your show it's like that's hey, right man, it's yeah like, we, that's right we just wanted yeah. we just wanted that vibe of like Hey man, we're just three buds hanging out, like watching yeah. TV, you know, drinking some beers, talking, talking gear. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. how and we so like this show. Kind of just kind of just let it, let it fly. We have a. And it's amazing how that. Go. It's amazing how it yeah. resonates with people, right? Um, well, um, I, I think, yeah. and I think the reason why is because we generally are are all good friends with each other. We have a history, yeah. and we all respect each other. And then, um, and it's one of those things where it. it 
it's kind of with our age group differences. It's it's kind of funny because you know Rhett's like ten years younger than me. I'm ten years younger than Rick. Yeah. So yeah. we kind of have this like generational different oh, look yeah. on every period of of whatever. Yeah, so it yeah. kind of works that way, good too. So that's great. Um, it really, and, works. you know, I'm like, yeah. 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 I mean, so I just I, that was the reason that sold me on the whole thing was just like it was natural. It wasn't formulated. It wasn't you know. Yeah. You just yeah. and, and I like that excitement of it's like I never know what we're gonna do. So it's like, you know, Rick will call me and go, Hey, you wanna make a video? I'm like, Yeah, sure, okay, I'll come over and then we're just like, <laughs> What are we gonna do? I have no clue. You know. So sometimes that I mean it's, that spawns it's funny. the best stuff, you know. I mean, you don't always That's unbelievable. Right. That's unbelievable. Hey, did can right. I ask you can I ask you quickly, speaking of your videos, you guys sure. had one where you talked about vintage guitars or vintage guitars gonna be kind of like are people going to care about vintage guitars you know right like 30 years and i think you guys basically i mean you guys it was a great conversation but i mean i get you guys basically concluded like probably not like people are probably not going to care that all that much <laughs> and then well <laughs> my, my i mean my take on it was was basically you know i've been i've been around vintage guitars my entire life and yeah, yeah, everybody's yeah. always said oh the vintage market's going to bomb out it's this stuff's never going to be worth. and all i've seen is vintage go through the roof for the last 40 years exactly it's so, never going to go away right yeah so yeah, i mean yes yeah. does it is there ebb and flow yes yes there's yeah. down periods there's high periods it's just like real estate it's like anything and yeah. it's like, yeah. you know, if you know what you're buying and you, and it, that's why in that video, I stressed over and over, if you have a mint example of X, Y, Z, and it's all original, no stories, guitar, that guitar will always be worth money. I don't care what it oh, is. Oh, totally. Yeah. 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 So no, if I it's think modded that's and right. played, yeah. you know, it, that's, that's, that, you know, it's the player grade stuff that, that varies widely. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you see how um, red, did you see how red asked Joe Bonamassa about it? Or Joe, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I don't know if Rhett asked Joe Bonamassa, but Joe Bonamassa basically volunteered his opinion <laughs> on it. Opinion, yeah. <laughs> well, well, I, I can only tell you from what I I heard on that end. After we got done with that video, Rhett told me said that Bonamassa had contacted him and texted him saying, like, what the basically F? like, hey man, you know, <laughs> yeah, and and so and I'm laughing because I'm sitting there going, you know, if you if you watch that video, I'm actually praising Joe in that video. Yeah, you're. Yeah, that's. A, I that's actually a gave good him point, some credit, going you, like, hey man, yeah, that's you a know, Bonamassa is yeah. basically holding up a lot of this vintage stuff. You know. Yeah, you did. And you did. So, you did do that. Yeah. You know, I tried to be. I tried to be a, 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 a the voice of reason in the middle there, and it was like, you know, all the while I'm sitting there going, <laughs> well, you know, half the market is 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 hype and then the other half is actually reality so yeah, uh, yeah but i don't know you know i don't know exactly what went down with him or whatever but you know the fact that i, I laughed just because the fact that bonamassa would actually even chime in oh yeah he totally you know and then keith from five world is there we're all good friends and so so yeah. you know me and him are laughing about this afterward going like really like he he like texted in trying to be like man you need to you know stop doing this or whatever i, you I know, think, it was I think that's I, yeah i think that's what spurred like the interview with him and with on the pod yeah. on, on rett's podcast right it's because it's because it was yeah, like the first I mean, thing you know, they so talked I, about so he's I, like I kinda, let's set the record straight about this joe's like let's yeah, set the record know, so i kind of i kind of i'm one of those people were like you know man i'm i'm i don't hog the, i'm not a hog for a spotlight necessarily anytime so it's like People wanted to get into the middle. Of, so honestly, that's half the reason why I don't have a YouTube channel because because you're not into that out, yeah. outside of doing all the product production work that I can't stand and editing and all that, which would drive me nuts. Is, totally, is the fact yeah. that you know I'm I, I I don't 
you know, I mean, I know I'm name dropping, obviously, in this interview because I have to, just to, for history purposes. But yeah, I, you know, I don't go around fun, going. It's fun for us hey, to man, listen yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, sure. but our listeners, know, this interview yeah. tonight, and all, and all, you know, look, all of it's true. So I'm not, I'm not BSing any. Oh no, we so, believe you. Oh, we, trust you know, me. <laughs> half of the, yeah, the, so. the stuff you've told us tonight is the exact reason you need a YouTube channel because this. Yeah, stuff is yeah, great. you got to tell these stories. I mean, you could. You yeah, could, I don't. I don't know if you would be allowed to do it, but you could probably do just a pay string rent of to videos. <laughs> you could probably do a string of videos yeah. about the Siamese dream of making of Siamese dream. Oh, you totally could. And, and yeah, and, then, and all that. And then I get. Stuff. And then I get sued. Yeah, you, yeah, get, you get sued, sued. by the guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Which would be another that's great okay, video too. You know, that's okay. There's a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff that I didn't talk about that that I can't really. Talk right. About. Oh, yeah. I, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine. But it's just so. that that's the way it goes. But when, man, Dave, yeah, this has so, been this um, has been great, Dave. We really appreciate yeah, yeah I appreciate you coming it, on. You tell such too. great stories, and I think we're definitely gonna have oh, to have you on for like part two. I mean, this is. This is long enough. No but problem. We, st we still need to have yeah, come. We need on to have you come two, on so part two because we know there's going to be a lot more to dig into and, and do a deeper dive. And like I said, yeah, we're gonna, man, sure. we're, we'll put sure. you up on our um, Facebook page after you some of your guitar. Are you? St are you do you make your guitars to order? Or is that something you're just open to taking orders? Or actually, well, I, right now I'm not really doing much building because okay. I'm not really set up for uh, spraying finishes. Okay, uh, I don't have a All spray right. booth. Okay. So, um, but I mean, I do, I do finish work in the, in probably to the extent of like broken headstocks and, you know, minor stuff I can, I can shoot okay. like nitrocellulose lacquer, but, but I don't really have a spray booth and I'm not going to okay. drop 30 grand to, to put one in. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay. You have to be but, pretty serious about it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, so if I do, fin if I do finish work, it's pretty much for myself, but, um, okay. uh, I, I mean, I do build guitars here and there when I get a bug up my butt about it, I'll be like, okay. yeah, I really want to build something. But I do, I mean, you know, it's not out of the question. I've built a few strats for, for Rick. Um, and I do, you know, I've built some other stuff for, for people. And I, I've done replicas. I did some Van Halen replicas. Oh, cool, cool. Some other cool. stuff. So, well, what? And, uh, but, um, but for the most part, it's pretty much just repair right now. Okay, great. But we can find you on Instagram. Yeah, right. just go on yeah. Instagram. It's at Dojo Guitar Repair. Yep. Okay, yeah. at Dojo Guitar Repair on Instagram. That's mainly where we, we can find you out there on the web. Yeah, right? there or on, yeah. on Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Facebook at Dojo Guitar Repair. Dojo Guitar Repair on Facebook. All right, awesome. great. Well, we'll yeah. check you out. Dave, this has been fantastic. We really appreciate you doing it. Um, oh, I appreciate it, guys. I hope yeah. it was a bunch of fun. Let's, yeah, we'll do it again. Yeah, we definitely have to do it again. We can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Do a little part two. I'm sure the fans will love it. Sure. We've had a lot of great stories to tell. And, um, I'm just, yeah, man. Cool. So I think, uh, for that, that though, that wraps us up and, uh, just a quick thank you to all our fans, uh, listening each and every week and, uh, checking us out on Facebook at guitar dads podcast at guitar dads podcast on Instagram, where you can catch clips of this and every other interview that we post. And, um, yeah, I think for now, Matt, what do you think? That was this week's guitar dads podcast. That's it. Keep rock alive. Everybody catch you on the flip.